We're so glad that you have been able to join us on this Easter Sunday as we celebrate what is the most central and significant event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me tell you a story. A man called George comes home from work one evening and he looks out the back and he is petrified to see his dog running about with his neighbor's pet rabbit Fluffy in his mouth. George panics, he runs out the back, he he grabs the rabbit out of the dog's mouth, it's mangled, it's covered in blood, and it's very evidently dead. Well, George is thrown into a frenzy, he doesn't know what to do. If his neighbour knows that his dog has killed their rabbit, his neighbour will hate him forever. So George, in a complete fluster, brings the rabbit into the house, puts him into the shower, washes him, clean, gets rid of all the blood, gets rid of all the mess, blow dries him, and then climbs over his neighbor's fence and puts him back in the cage, thinking that his neighbor will come home later on and hopefully think that Fluffy has died by natural causes. Well, all seems to be going well until about two days later, he hears an almighty scream from the back garden. He goes out and his neighbor is out in his back garden holding up Fluffy. George says, what's happened, Fluffy? And his neighbor says this, you know, Fluffy died four days ago. We buried him in the back garden. And what do you think happened? Some sick individual has dug Fluffy up, washed him and put him back in the cage. What sort of sicko would do something like that? George said, I have absolutely no idea as he sloped off back into his house. When rabbits die, they're dead. When people die, they're dead. People don't come back from the dead. And yet here we are on this Easter Sunday, celebrating a man called Jesus, who lived 2,000 years ago, who died, who was buried But we believe and the scriptures teach that he rose from the dead. In the next few moments, what I want to do is to take us back to that very first Easter. That first day when they started to hear that something had happened. And I want us to take a journey. I want us to go on a walk with some of those first disciples as they encountered the risen, living Jesus. It's in Luke 24. It's a story that's recorded there. You might want to look it up if you have a Bible at home, but the verses will appear on your screen. To understand the story, we need to know a little bit about the background of what was happening in Israel during Jesus' time. Israel, the the land that were called to be God's people, to be a light to the nations, they were under the tyranny, under the oppression, and under the rule of the Roman Empire. And they were longing and they were praying and they were waiting for a day when someone would come to deliver them. The Old Testament scriptures had talked about someone called the Messiah, a savior, a deliverer who would come in and and, and militarily overthrow the Roman oppressors and bring freedom and bring uh, all the, the, the joy and life that Israel were meant to experience in the promised land. And then this guy, Jesus, appears on the scene. And he begins to talk about the kingdom of God. 
But not only does he talk, he backs it up. He heals people. He sets people free from demons. Uh, People who have blind eyes, their eyes are open. Deaf ears are opened. People even rise from the dead when Jesus speaks into a tomb of a man called Lazarus. And so this Jesus' movement begins to grow. This anticipation and expectation develops among the people. Maybe this is the one we have been longing for. And crowds begin to surround Jesus. Thousands of people flock to him in anticipation that at any moment... There will be this uprising. There will be this revolution. And those horrible, nasty Romans will be kicked out once and for all. It reaches a culmination. It reaches a climax on what we call Palm Sunday. It was the start of the Passover festival. And Jesus uh, arrives into Jerusalem on a donkey. And they wave branches and they cry, Hosanna. It was like the coronation of the new king. Everybody thought at any moment this Jesus is going to lead this revolution. But then things took a turn. Almost in slow motion, things began to unravel. One of Jesus' closest followers called Judas betrayed him. He was arrested and he didn't fight back. He was put on a mock trial and he didn't even try to defend himself. He was beaten with sticks. He was spat upon. They took his clothes. They took his robe off him and he did nothing about it. He was led away to be executed. And even his closest followers said, I don't know him. I know nothing about him. And he was tortured. And on a hill outside Jerusalem, On a Friday, he was crucified. Today we call that Good Friday. But for those who were the first followers of Jesus, I can tell you it was anything but good. Their hearts were broken. Their hopes were crushed. They had left everything to follow this man and now he had failed them. He had disappointed them and they were shattered and they scattered. That was Friday. And now we join the story and it's just a few days later. It's Sunday afternoon. Look at verses 13 and 14 of Luke 24 with me. Now on that same day, that's Sunday, that's Easter, the first Easter Sunday, two of them, that's two followers of Jesus were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So if these two people who were part of the Jesus movement, they weren't the 12 disciples, but they were fairly closely linked to the Jesus movement and they had been in Jerusalem to see what Jesus was going to do. We know one of them is called Cleopas. We'll call him Cleo. We don't know what the other one is called. It may have been Mrs. Cleo. It may have been somebody else completely. It may have been just a friend. But they had been there and they had watched as Jesus was crucified. And as that happened, their world has fallen apart. And so instead of staying in Jerusalem, they say, we're packing it all in. We're going home. They think it's all over. And there's no point in staying there any longer. 
And it says they were talking about everything that had happened. Isn't that what we do? When things take a turn in our lives, when things don't make sense, when we're blindsided, when the bottom drops out of our world, don't we keep going over it and over it in our heads again and again, trying to somehow make sense of it. How could this happen? How did this happen? Where did it all go wrong? Why didn't I see it coming? Where did I miss it? Isn't that what we do? A bit like at the moment, everywhere you go, people are talking about one thing, coronavirus. You're paying for your groceries on your uh, weekly outing. It's like the best outing of the week to Tesco's or Asda or Marxies. And you're trying to get away from it, but the people in the checkout are talking about coronavirus. Everywhere you go, because people are trying to make sense of this situation that we didn't expect or anticipate. Well, these two people, Cleo and his friend or his wife are talking about everything that has happened. They're probably saying things like, how could he do this? Why didn't he fight back? We thought he was the one. Why did he disappoint us so badly? Jesus had promised so much and delivered so little. And so they're disappointed. They're depressed. They're discouraged. They're despondent. And they're devastated. Maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe you feel disappointed. Maybe you're watching this and right now as you look at your life, you just feel disappointed. Things haven't turned out as you hoped, as you dreamed, as you planned, as you expected. Maybe when you were younger, you had all these plans for your life. And maybe now you're older and you look back and you think you've wasted time. Maybe you made some decisions along the way that took you down a path and it was the wrong path to go. And you're thinking, how can I ever get back to the way that I wanted to live? Maybe you're a man and you're, I'm 44, I'll be 45 this year. And people talk about midlife crisis and we joke about buying the red sports car and all of that. But there is something that happens us men at that stage where we begin to look at our lives and we begin to ask ourselves, am I fulfilled? Am I uh, have, have I become who I wanted to be? Is my life important? Is my life significant? And maybe you're looking at your life and you're thinking, I haven't reached my potential. I haven't fulfilled all that I long to do. Maybe you look around you at your friends or your peers on Facebook or Instagram and they all seem to be having this wonderful life. They're all climbing mountains and racing sports cars and traveling to exotic places. And the most exciting thing that happened to you today is that you made a really good cheese sandwich and your ingrown toenail isn't as sore as it was yesterday. You know, sometimes we look at our lives and we just feel disappointed. That's how these disciples feel disappointed. Life hasn't turned out how they thought it would. But in the midst of that, Jesus draws close. Look at verses 15 and 16. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus walks with them, but for some reason we don't know why they don't realize that it's him. At their lowest point, when God seems furthest away, God is actually right beside them. God is closest to them, but they just don't realize it. You know, I have found in my own life that when I get overwhelmed by life, when things don't go as I planned, 
when I get consumed by the mess around me or the mess within me, I tend not to always recognize that God is with me. I'm so busy looking at my circumstances or looking at myself or looking at the people around me that I don't recognize that God is close, that God is present, that God is with me. In this story, it's a bit like, it's a, bit like a pantomime. If you've ever been to a pantomime at Christmas, maybe in the opera house or in the waterfront or wherever that is, there's nearly always this scene where the body comes on stage behind the goody. And what does everybody shout? He's right behind you. He's right behind you. And the goody is always looking around and they say, where, where? They're not there. And And the audience, especially the kids are shouting, he's right behind you. That's kind of what we see going on here. The disciples are talking about Jesus as if he's still dead. And you want to shout at them, he's right beside you. He's right beside you. Why can't you recognize him? He's right beside you. But very often we're like that. Jesus has drawn close to us. God has come near to us. And we don't recognize it. Sometimes other people, friends, family can see what God is doing in our lives. But we don't see it because we're so overwhelmed and consumed with our circumstances. Maybe you can look back at your life and at the time it felt like God was distant. It felt like God had disappointed you. It felt like God had left you. But now as you look back, you realize that God was actually very, very close to you. That you wouldn't be where you are today if you hadn't went through what you went through then. And at the time you would have done anything to avoid that breakup, that job loss, that whatever sickness, whatever it was, it wasn't pleasant and you don't want to repeat it, but you recognize that in those painful moments, Jesus came close to you. And not only does he come close, but he speaks to them. Jesus is talking to them, but they don't recognize his voice. Maybe God is speaking to you today. We believe God speaks in all sorts of ways. He speaks through a still small voice. He whispers to our hearts. He speaks through the Bible. Could it be possible that God would speak to you through this ported down preacher who is on your screen, who you're watching right now? Could God be speaking to you? Could he be whispering to you? Could he be drawing close to you? Could he be calling out your name. You know, it was no accident that Jesus happened to be walking along the road with these disciples. Jesus had no reason to go to a mess. Jesus needed to be in Jerusalem. So why was he going? Because he wanted to walk with these two people. And it's no accident that you're watching this today. Maybe you were flicking through Facebook or YouTube Maybe a friend shared this and you're checking it out to see what it's like. Can I say to you, it's no accident that you're listening to the sound of my voice. God has purpose that you would hear this today so that he can speak to you because he is pursuing you. The Bible says that a man had a hundred sheep and one wandered off and he left the 99 on the hill and went after the one. Jesus pursues us. He comes after us because it's not his desire that any are lost So no matter how lost you feel today, I want to say that Jesus is pursuing you and he's walking with you. Look at verse 17 with me. He asked them, 
What are you discussing together as you walk along? Jesus says, what are you talking about? What's going on, guys? What's the crack? And verse 18, they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Their faces reveal what's going on in their hearts. They're downcast. You see, sometimes we can put on uh, what we call a brave face, but if we look into the eyes of each other, we can see what's really going on. And they can't hide their sadness and their disappointment. And, and Cleopas says, do you not understand? Everybody knows what's happened. Everybody thought this Jesus was going to be the, the revolutionary, the one who would deliver us. Don't you know what's happened? Are you the only one? Everybody's talking about it. Look at verses 19 to 21. What things Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We have this moment of humor and irony. This he's right beside you moment where they're telling Jesus how much Jesus has disappointed them because he has died. But look at that little phrase. But we had hoped, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But we had hoped and now our hopes have been crushed. But we had hoped, but now our hopes have been shattered. I wonder what you would put in there. I had hoped. I had hoped that that person who I had been with for three years would be my husband or my wife right now, but they've left me. I had hoped my marriage would work, but they deserted me. I had hoped I'd be further along in life by now, but here I am. I had hoped I would get that job or I would get that promotion, but it didn't work out. I had hoped that I'd be uh, past this addiction by now, but it seems to have such a hold on me. I had hoped that I'd be healthy by now, but I can't seem to shake this sickness. I had hoped that my husband and I would have a little baby by now, but for some reason, it just doesn't seem to be happening. I had hoped that those test results would come back negative, but it hasn't happened. I had hoped. I had hoped. You see, hope is like oxygen. We need it to stay alive. And when we don't have hope, we end up feeling despairing, disappointed, discouraged, and depressed. We need hope for life to have purpose and meaning. And these two had put their hope fully in Jesus. And they had watched as their hope died on a wooden cross. Let's keep going. Verses 22 to 24, we're nearly done. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find the body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. They tell Jesus what has happened just a few hours before. That some of the women, 
Some of the, the, the female followers of Jesus had gone to the tomb that morning to anoint the body, but when they got there, the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty, and there was an angel there, apparently. But they don't really believe it. It's almost implied that they, they're saying something like, well, you know what women are like? They, they tend to exaggerate a little bit. Listen, I'm not saying that. This is what's implied in the text here. They, they don't believe the women They think, well, maybe they're a bit emotional about Jesus. Maybe they're exaggerating. They're a bit over the top. And so some of the men went. Peter and John ran to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but still they haven't encountered Jesus. And they say, you know what? We have heard that he's risen, but we don't believe it. We have heard that he's alive and the tomb is empty, but we just don't think it's true. Maybe today you're not in the first category. Maybe you're not disappointed. Maybe you're in the second category here. Maybe you're doubting. Maybe you can accept that there was somebody called Jesus who lived. Maybe you can accept that he died. But this resurrection thing, like that's just, you don't get it. That's just a step too far for you. Well, I want to say this to you that there's so much evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Study it for yourself. But I also want to say this to you, that Jesus doesn't reject them because of their doubt. Jesus doesn't chastise them or rebuke them because of their doubt. Jesus continues to draw close to them in their doubt. Jesus loves to reveal himself to skeptics and to cynics. And he's not afraid of your questions. If Jesus is who he claimed to be, if God is God, you can take your doubts and your questions to him and he is more than capable of answering them and revealing himself to you. Look at verses 25 to 27. This is Jesus speaking. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. I would love to have been there for this. For the next two hours or so, Jesus takes them on the most incredible Bible study there's ever been. He goes all the way through the Old Testament, through the Hebrew Scriptures, and he shows them again and again, hundreds of times in the Old Testament, where he was revealed. The Old Testament reveals his birth. It reveals his life. It reveals his, his, his betrayal. It reveals his death, and it reveals his resurrection. All of it is found in the Hebrew Scriptures. And these men had studied the Hebrew Scriptures, but because Jesus didn't fit into the box that they had put him in, they didn't recognize him. But Jesus says, all of this is about me. And he opens up the Scriptures and he says, this points to me. Jesus says, basically, that his death wasn't some tragic accident, that the Romans and the Jews didn't take his life from him, but that he laid it down. That his death wasn't plan B, but it was God's plan from the foundations of the world. And he also says this, that their story is too small. You see, they thought he had just come to set Israel free. 
But Jesus makes it clear that it wasn't just to set Israel free, but it was to set all of humanity free. It wasn't to set us free from the oppression of the Roman Empire, but it was to set us free from slavery to sin, that we might know God and have eternal life. He says, your story's too small. Let me show you God's bigger story and let me show you how your story your little story can fit into his bigger story and your little story might be gory right now but one day it will all be turned to glory when it becomes part of his big story verses 20 to 29 as they approached the village that's a mess to which they were going Jesus continued on as if he was going further but they urged him strongly Stay with us because it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. They get to a mess, their home, and Jesus is about to walk on. But look at what happens. They invite him in. And in fact, says they urged him strongly. They wouldn't let him get away. There's something going on inside them. They're not sure what it is, but they're fascinated with this guy. There's something going on and they don't want him to go. And so they say, come and stay with us for a little bit longer. Jesus doesn't force himself upon them. He has to be invited in. And it's exactly the same today. Jesus will not force himself into your life. He waits to be invited in. He will walk with you. He will make the first move. He has come down from heaven. He's died on the cross. He has made the first move. He will speak to you. He's speaking to you now, but he will not force himself into your life. He waits to be invited into your heart. He waits for you to say, Jesus, come and stay with me. I don't want you to go. Look at verses 30 to 32. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Jesus goes inside, they're sitting down to have supper and they bring out bread and Jesus breaks it and there's something in that moment it says their eyes were open. Now, that's an, it wasn't that they'd been walking along all day with their eyes shut, but their spiritual eyes were opened. The eyes of their heart were opened, and they, in that moment, recognized that this wasn't some ordinary man, this wasn't just a stranger, but that this was the risen Savior with them. We don't know why it was. Maybe they'd watched him break bread before, maybe in the feeding of the 5,000, maybe they were watching in the Last Supper. We don't know. But there's something in that moment. As the bread is broken, they see that this is Jesus. Jesus has been walking with them for hours and they didn't realize it, but now their spiritual eyes are open and they recognize it's him. You know, some people have what we would call a Damascus Road experience. In the New Testament, a guy called Paul, <coughs> excuse me, who hated Christians, was walking along the Damascus Road and Jesus appeared. He fell to his knees and he became the greatest Christian missionary of the New Testament. 
Uh, that's kind of was my experience of coming to know Christ. I was brought up in a normal traditional Church of Ireland family. We went to church now and again, but I didn't know Jesus. And then in 1990, on the 1st of July, at a summer camp, I had this experience of Jesus. And while there's been many ups and downs since then, 30 years ago, my life has never been the same again. For some of you, that's your experience. You have a time and a date where you came to know Jesus. But for others, maybe it's more like this. It's an Emmaus Road experience. Over time, maybe days, weeks, months, even years, Jesus has been slowly and gradually revealing himself to you. You didn't recognize it, but you know now. You don't know how you know, but you just know that you believe in him. You believe he's the son of God. You believe he's the savior. Nothing dramatic. You can't put a date on it. But right now you just know that Jesus is who he said he is. And he has revealed himself to you. And you're a follower or you're choosing today to be a follower of Jesus. And these two disciples come spiritually alive. And that can happen to you today. Their eyes are open and they come alive. Look at what it says in verses 33 and 34 as we finish. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11, that's the 11 disciples. Remember, Judas is already dead at this stage. And those with them assembled together. And they said, it is true, the Lord has risen. Meeting the risen, living Jesus turns their life around. They were headed away from Jerusalem and they physically turn around and they go back. But it also turns our life around in every other way. Spiritually, it turns us around. Morally, it turns us around. In our relationships, it turns us around. In how we uh, live and work and spend our money and all of those things, meeting Jesus turns us around. I love turnaround moments in life. Maybe you can think of those significant turnarounds in your life. Maybe your favorite football team were losing 2-0 and there was 10 minutes to go at the end of the game. And you maybe even some people began to leave the stadium. Maybe you began to leave the stadium and then you heard this cheer because your team had scored a goal. And so you rushed back in. And then they score another goal and it's 2 each. And then in the final 30 seconds of the game, your team score again and they win 3-2. What you thought was a disappointment turns out to be a victory. It was a turnaround. It was an amazing turnaround. Maybe your company was going to close and you were going to lose your job and you didn't know what you were going to do, but at the last minute, somebody comes in and buys your company, and your job is saved. It's an amazing turnaround. Maybe you have a relative who was sick, they're in intensive care, and you're preparing to say goodbye to them, but then suddenly there's this turnaround, and within a few days, they're home again. We all love those turnaround moments in life. Maybe in 2020, there's this virus that seems unstoppable, they're predicting that it could go on right through the summer. What if there was this turnaround? What if from this point onwards, the curve instead of going like this started going downwards? I fully believe that is, could happen. And I do believe it will happen because I believe nothing is impossible with God and God's people have been praying. And I believe we're going to see this thing turn around. Wouldn't that be a wonderful turnaround if by the summer we were able to get back to some sort of life. Not that it's going to be normal again, 
but to some sort of normal life where we're able to be with our closest family, friends, where we're able to come to church on a Sunday here. But you know what the greatest turnaround is in the history of humanity? It's 2,000 years ago when a man who was hung on a cross and executed rose from the grave. He was buried in a tomb. The tomb was sealed. They think it's all over. But then Sunday comes and by the power of God, he's raised back to life. The cross couldn't finish him. The grave couldn't hold him. Death could not defeat him. Hell could not destroy him. Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God, died and he rose from the grave so that you and I could have a turnaround, so that we could turn our lives around and follow him. It's the greatest turnaround in human history. And because of his turnaround, everything else can turn around. You know, because Jesus rose from the dead, darkness and death do not have the final word. Because Jesus rose from the dead, sickness and suffering don't have the final word. Because Jesus rose from the dead, depression and anxiety don't have the final word. Because Jesus rose from the grave, disappointment and loss don't have the final word. Because Jesus is alive, pain and suffering don't have the final word. Because Jesus is alive, despair and sadness don't have the final word. Word. Because Jesus is alive, addictions and abuse don't have the final word. Because Jesus is alive, sin and death don't have the final word. Because Jesus has turned everything around. And he can turn you around today if you put your trust in him. It's the greatest turnaround in human history. But you can have your own turnaround today if you will receive the risen Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. So today as I finish, Jesus is offering you a turnaround. He's saying, let my turnaround become your turnaround. Let me give you new life. Let me offer you a new start. Let me give you a blank page so that you can rewrite the story which has been marred by sin, by wrong decisions, whatever it is. And I can turn your life around. So he's holding his hand out today. And he's saying, will you invite me in? Will you welcome me in? And will you turn around this Easter? I'm going to pray now. And if you have been listening to me, and as you've been listening to these words, you recognize you need to turn your life around. Maybe you've never been a Christian. Maybe you recognize that Jesus has been speaking to you, that he's been walking with you. Maybe you have been a Christian, but you've wandered away. I'm going to pray a short prayer now. And if you would like Jesus to come into your life and to turn your life around to follow him, would you pray this short prayer with me? Just repeat it quietly after me. Father God, I thank you that your son Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for my sins and he rose from the dead. Today, I put my trust in him. Please give me the strength to follow him. May your Holy Spirit fill me. From this day forward, I choose to live as a follower of Jesus. In his name I pray.
Amen. If you have prayed that prayer, can I say we want to rejoice with you? Would you drop us a message? Would you drop us an email? And we would love to be able to celebrate that with you. The Bible says the angels in heaven are rejoicing right now that you have turned around and that you're choosing to follow Jesus.